Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scene Partners. Okay. <laughs> Coming in with a lot of negative energy out the S- gate. Scene. <laughs> Sorry. Scene Partners. That started that off as Red Robin, and I was about to go, yum. Scene Partners. That's a different song. That's Rockin' Robin. You were doing Red Robin. What in the world? <laughs> this has been a real treat. I know. I don't really know. Maybe <laughs> it was. It started off with me just trying. Like every time we come in here and we sit down, and I try to like figure out how I sat the last time. I feel like it's like I'm getting ready for a golf swing. <laughs> You're like a dog that keeps turning around in a circle it's just like to how, lay in the same like spot. Exactly. Did I sit so that I can see you? Because my chair's not necessarily angled in the right direction. <laughs> But I don't want to give up the recliner. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's angled if we would have a guest. Yeah. If we had a guest, it would be absolutely perfect. Setup. When we have a Sorry, guest. When we do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. My niece is volleying, trying to get in for the to be pulled as the first guest while she's staying with us. Oh, is she? It's like, no. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what you have to offer. <laughs> we'll do a mock <laughs> interview tonight. See how she handles it. That's what it. we should do. She probably wouldn't <laughs> handle it very well. How long have you been doing theater? Um, <laughs> Which method do you prefer? The performing one. <laughs> hey, so uh, let's see. This week is an interesting week for me because I wrapped up school. I'm like done with teaching, which is kind of crazy. And now I'm about to start teaching again mm-hmm. <laughs> tomorrow. But man, it was kind of it was kind of it's kind of weird, like not going to the you know. I, this is kind of my first true summer as a teacher, so yeah. it's kind of strange in the way of you get so used to that one routine, and then you break it, and you immediately feel like you're doing something wrong. So when you woke up this morning and you didn't have to go to school, well, what did it, that feel it like? It was different because I thought today was Saturday. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> either way, it wasn't going to make any difference. Yeah. So tomorrow, we start our kids' theater workshop for the summer, which is super fun. It is one of those things that I really look forward to. And then somewhere like three weeks in, I'm going to also kind of be banging my head up against the wall. But I'm also <laughs> still looking forward to it. Yeah. So it's one of those strange things because you you kind of underestimate what it is like to be the one adult in the room with 40 children. And you're trying to get them to put on a show. It's kind of like taking this impossible thing and then adding a whole bunch of like drunk fraternity and sorority people in there. And those are the children. And then you're trying to get them to be in one place. And yeah. They're like, oh, but I have no impulse control. And you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. But we need you to enter now. What Do I say my lines? Yes, you do. You say them now. Um, but it is so fun. It is honestly one of my absolute favorite things because just seeing the growth of the children mm-hmm. from start to finish. And now this is this is now my, oh no, it's either my third or my fourth year doing this in the summer uh, with the Fox. And it is just so cool because some of those kids that were there at the very first, you know, the very first time that I came, they have just grown so much and changed so much. And it's just so awesome seeing how confident they are and just completely different human beings yeah from doing this summer thing and i'm not saying that's because of me i think it's because of the program yeah you know 
Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty stoked about it. We're doing Peter Pan, which is a lot of fun. It's actually like, it's a, it's a special show for you and me. <laughs> it is. It's a special show. <laughs> um, but it did kind of get me thinking on some things like that. I kind of like to talk about today. So maybe I'm just going to do this differently than maybe I've done okay. in the past where I do kind of want to talk about, you know, the importance of children's theater in a way. And then also, you know, if you think it's important or if you don't and why. And I also want to talk about uh, doing classic shows like Peter Pan because it's kind of been on my brain. Like, I love that show. Yeah. So much. It There's zero surprises in it. Everybody knows exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I, I doubt that anyone that goes to see the show, even whenever the kids do it, or when I've done it in the past, that they don't know the story before they go in. I mean, I think it would be very special circumstances that you don't know the story of Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're surprising people, but everybody loses their mind over that show. Yeah. They'd love it. I love it. It's got to be at least so- something to do with the interaction that you can have with Captain Hook. Well, I think that that is why I, I personally love it. There's no way you I do the show like, and you don't get cast as that Captain Hook, by the way. I, well, yeah, that's all I want anyway. <laughs> so I'm, I'm good. I just do that show forever and just be Captain Hook every time. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, I don't think anyone's going to ever cast me as Smee. But no. <laughs> might be interesting. But I'd, I'd We'll just, do a miscast. Me oh, as Hook and so then fun. you as me. Oh, I'd rather be like Michael. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes christmas yeah love to see somebody try to lift me off the ground for that big giant fly when he you says just, christmas you just kind of get lifted just an inch off I the just ground jump. <laughs> did you see that Whoa. i won't grow up by yeah <laughs> but i i just i don't know if it is this particular show but it, 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 I think it just gives everybody, like, one reason why I really enjoy it is that it gives everyone in the audience permission to be a child for the next two hours or mm-hmm. however long the show is. Hopefully it's not over two hours. Um, and that it just gives you that license to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be, a, like, you're just invited to be a child again. But what's also interesting is that Finding Neverland, the musical, based off of the movie, based off of the book, of Peter Pan. The, the, the actual author's story yeah. of how he wrote. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's based off the movie Finding Neverland. Yeah. And then it's just a whole lot of based off ofs. But, I mean, that did not do very well on Broadway. And mm-hmm. it's the same story, but it's a deeper, more adult version of the story. Where they, you know, they go, it, there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of sadness. It's a lot of sadness in that show. I think, honestly, that it didn't do well because they cast Matthew Morrison as the lead. <laughs> and I hate that's it. That's why the Grinch didn't do well? I th- Well, I know that that's why the Grinch didn't do well. How dare you bring that up? It's really, it's my fault. I brought up Matthew Morrison. But, I mean, honestly, like, it'll come on every once in a while. Like, I, I had had it on a playlist, and I was listening to it, and, um, oh, my goodness, what... Uh, Oh, it just like went into my brain for, you know, when you think of somebody's name and it's like there and it just whoosh, and the, like as quick as it's as it's there, it's gone. Yes. I'm talking about Frasier. Oh, Kelsey Grammer. Name? Kelsey Grammer. Um, Kelsey Grammer is is in it and he plays the basically the Captain Hook version. Oh, like the Captain that'd be Hook awesome. And he's really good. Like everybody is really good. But then Matthew Morrison starts singing and it's like I just 
hate this so much. Like, I like the music, but I don't like him. I think that's more the problem. I just yeah. don't. And I know that's probably not right of me to say that I don't like somebody that I've never, ever actually personally met. Well, that, but that, he's that is just grody. something that's crazy uh, interesting because uh, our friend Jay Purdy and I were talking the other day and he asked me, like, how important is it to have the synergy of a cast? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's kind of a deep subject. You know, my default is always I'd rather do a bad show with people that I do like mm -hmm. than do a really good show with people that I just can't stand to be around. Well, especially when you look at it and you think, OK, really, lo logistically on a community level, I'm going to be spending 85 percent of this process not performing the show. Yes. For an audience. I'm going to be spending that time with the cast. Yeah. So where would you like to spend that 85%? <laughs> and I was I was curious to ask you, you know, when you're casting a show and maybe even like when you do these these theater classes like for the children and stuff, you're trying mm -hmm. to figure out who could fit where. Like, do you also think about that? Yeah, whenever you look at, especially in a class setting, when you're pairing people up, mm -hmm. I'm more or less, if we're working on scenes, I will more or less think, okay, so... If this person and that person do not get along and they clearly have very different personalities, I'm not going to pair them together. Normally, I look for, okay, so um, this, you know, person A is really, really confident and just goes for it 100%. But most of the time, they always, like, go too far. And person B is super reserved, but they have good instincts. So then I would pair those two people together to try to equalize them in a sense, you know, just so that they can both learn a little bit from the other person. Mm -hmm. So I think and, and like trying to get people out of their comfort zone in a way in a class setting. When I'm casting a show as a whole, of course, I mean, in general, community, professional, anything you're going to look at. I mean, if, if somebody comes in on a professional audition and you've never heard of them, the first thing that people do is the reason why you have the resume. It's not so that somebody can see that I've played Hamlet. It's so that somebody can see that I played Hamlet and so-and-so directed it. Mm -hmm. And had, do I know that person who directed it? Where was this theater company? Oh, okay. I know that I can, if, if I'm willing to take a chance on you to give you a big part because you had a great audition, I'm going to call that director and ask how it was for you to work with them how you were in the rehearsal room yeah. so that I know that you're going to work well with the rest of the people that we're going to be working with. I mean, I don't think that I ever helped cast or witnessed a casting of a professional show on, you know, like these huge levels that, that people did not double check everybody's background. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's almost <laughs> like looking for um, like in any other job you, you look for references, you know, it's, that's what it is, but, mm -hmm. but it's never, ever been, were they good Yeah, at, the, at doing the part? It wasn't, oh, was he a good Hamlet? It was, how was he in the rehearsal room? Mm. Did he listen to you? Did he work well with the other cast, even though he had this huge part? Was he nice to everybody? Like, what was that? What was his energy like? Like, it was always about the energy. And I, I that 100% of the time, you know, it's just David used to say, um, David Bell, who, I, who was kind of like my mentor in a sense, he would always say that he would cast he would cast nice and fun over talented any day. And that's I mean, he's directed 
he's directed theater on every level. I mean, he directed, you know, it's, it's also very strange, this man's life. He directed the 98 Olympic ceremonies. <laughs> Not what I, I thought you were going to say. Did I tell you that before? No. Yeah, straight up. Is it the Atlanta? one where the boys to men or the Backstreet Boys or one of them like. Oh, I have no idea. Opened and saying or whatever. I don't know. I'd have to look. But he directed it. I was like, that's insane. That's hilarious. And every once in a while on his Facebook, it'll like pop up. Somebody will send like, hey, remember putting these huge dance numbers together? Wasn't this crazy? Like the rooms that he, this man has found himself in. Um, but all that to say, yeah, you cast you cast the person over the talent, mm-hmm. I think, every single time. Of course, the talent plays a, like a factor that you want them to be good. But you more more like more to the point you want them to be a good person yeah well i know that famously i don't know if you know this but eric stoltz was originally marty mcfly in back to the future and they had shot six or seven days or something like that Mm. or the first week whatever and that they ended up firing him from the project and you know for whatever reason whether he was just wrong for the role or i think i knew that like whether they, they shot a lot of scenes right yeah they they had they had shot like the first week and then they realized or it might actually be three weeks now that i'm really thinking about it um but i guess they realized he's just not the right person or something that he's doing isn't working with Mm -hmm. how we're trying to tell the story have you ever seen anything like that or realized that you maybe cast something like that before um (laughs) not to call you a hard question sorry um yeah, there there has definitely been times where I've been sitting and I've been watching and thinking, you know what, it would have been nice to have flipped these people mm-hmm. into different roles. And sometimes somebody will show you something in an audition and you expect that to grow, and that's what you're hoping for. And they show you, the you get the audition, you're like, man, that's great. When we work on this and we expound upon it, it's going to be perfect for the show, but then it doesn't change, and everyone else does. And this person's the same, and it's almost like now everybody's on this other level, and they're not, and you're like, oh, well, that's a missed opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you just kind of start running in your brain. This is a really hard question. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's a very hard. Um, I've definitely, I've definitely seen people be thrown out of shows because of the fact that they just did not get along with the director per se, or the director was kind of a jerk and you know, they couldn't work something out. Like I've, I've seen that before just like in any other business, like, you know, people's personalities are going to clash every once in a while. Absolutely. Especially when you walk in with all those egos. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) You know, it is kind of strange when, I was gone, you know, I I had left Chicago and I had left most of my stuff there because I for real thought, okay, I'm going to give this at most, at most six months. And I honestly thought I'd make it three (laughs) 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 down here. Look at me four four or five years later. Um, But all that to say, I, I left all of my things in the apartment. And because uh, I had I had a roommate and they were just going to stay in the apartment and take on the whole part of the rent. Yeah. And um, so I left my stuff there thinking, well, if they got a subletter, if they were going to Airbnb, just a room, they would have a bed. And honestly, I had <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this. I had it. I had it in my mind. And this seems like a very me thing to say. And I understand that. But I had it in my mind that I didn't need to buy 
a bed. <laughs> like I had a mattress and I had a box spring. Like I had that part of the bed. But I didn't think that I needed anything else. I was like, I can, not that it looked like I was living in a crack house necessarily, or like I was in college with it on the floor. Yeah, I had the but box was, spring. But I <laughs> had the box spring. I'm not an animal. But I, I built a bed. Of course. But of course I, you did. <laughs> and I built it out of, you know, pallet cycled lumber and pallets. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it didn't, it really didn't look, it looked good. I think it looked good. <laughs> but here's the thing. I did not Are you have, convincing me or yourself no, that I'm it just, good? No, I'm just saying. I think, it looked, I think it looked good. I it think did it looked look good. good. Well, I didn't want to just be like, it looked great because then it sounds like I'm bragging. Yeah. But it did look, it did look good. Um, I was very nervous. Well, no, I never, never mind. I, I just, I built it in the room and... I reused the pallet nails that I had pulled apart. I mean, one, I'm just like thinking right now of my neighbors and what they must have thought was going on because I had full on construction going on in this bedroom. (laughs) And so the people that lived above us and below us just must have thought that I was, you know, murdering somebody in there because tearing apart pallets pallets is hard and it is loud. And I was... Did not I did not do this outside. I'm sure I did you were also very vocal, and I was very yes. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, so I I used the pallet nails that I pulled out, which are grooved nails, and they're very hard to take apart. Mm-hmm. I used after I pulled them out. I didn't want to go buy screws, so I just used those pallet nails to reattach everything. <laughs> this thing was like could have survived. A nuclear holocaust. <laughs> this thing was not going anywhere. I mean, it was just, it was very, very sturdy. But the thing that I said earlier was that I built it in the room. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I couldn't take it out of the room. You left it. I couldn't take it out of the room <laughs> because it did not come apart. The only way to take it apart was to take it all the way apart, like every single piece, and where it was not a bed anymore. It was just a bunch of lumber. I would be very curious to see who the next person that moves into that apartment. Well, I'm not done. So <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I get like a call from my old roommate, and they're like, okay, it, you know, it's, it's, we're, go, we're going on a year. You know, are you, what are you thinking? Like this, we're thinking about turning this room into an office space you know we're not going to rent it out like what do you want to do so I realized I had to go back up there and get my stuff and so after a year of being gone and being back down here and just kind of like adjusting to this life and doing all that business and um, I went back up there and got well I'll tell you the that this part of it so I could tell you the other part the um, I was getting everything out of the room but I had all of this lumber for the pallet and I didn't really realize or for the, for the bed I didn't really realize that it I was going to have to rip it to shreds. So I took it apart as best I could but then I had nowhere to put all of this stuff because I was just in my small SUV. I'm like I'm not taking this back. I have nowhere to put all this lumber. So I was like, "You know what? I'll just turn this into outdoor furniture." <laughs> Of course. So I I turned that bed into a table and uh, put that on the balcony. It was like, they'll love it. They did. They did not love it. It was more or less kind of like. We wanted you to throw this away. Which, 
honestly makes so much more sense. Like, why didn't I just throw it away? But for some reason in my mind, I was like, I can't take this with me. First thing that popped into my head, I'll make outdoor furniture for these people (laughs) and not ask. And then just be like, all right, I'm leaving. (laughs) It is a real privilege to to listen to your mind. (laughs) It just made more sense that way. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, while I was up there, I got to like see all my friends again. And um, there was an opening at Chicago Shakespeare and uh, that I got invited to, which is always nice because there's a party. And so there's food and, you know, all that stuff, free food and drinks. So I went and while I was there, it was just it was so interesting being back and seeing probably the way that I used to have to be because when you're an actor, you're kind of like selling your you're you're the product so you're always selling Mm -hmm. and you're always on and that is you know people go to openings to be seen and to network and just seeing all of those people that i was friends with not necessarily really care to like they wanted to come over and say hi and they wanted to talk a little bit but the whole time they were talking to me you know they're doing that thing where they're looking everywhere else around you seeing who they need to go see so you never really actually have a true conversation you're not like actually catching up with anybody because they're always looking for the next best thing yeah kind of what it it feels like (laughs) and it's it's a terrible feeling and i just kept thinking like man this this had to be me like this constant looking around trying to see who i needed to go impress and all that stuff and i'm just so happy to not be a part of that anymore but they're doing that because they want people to talk about how awesome they are yeah (laughs) be like did you see that was so much fun they came and you know like every single connection you make i feel like as an actor or as an artist in the world it feels like that's the thing that could possibly push you to the next level Mm -hmm. it just is it's so easy to turn it turn yourself into a monster to allow yourself to become this monster i don't really know exactly why i started that story (laughs) i was curious to see how you'd circle back but here we are (laughs) well it's because i was thinking about standing in the lobby of chicago shakes outside of the bar and just like realizing that i had completely made the right choice because that is just so exhausting yeah to have to feel like you have to do this all the time. Yeah, to be able to have the opportunity to step back and look and observe and see. And oh. now, not not everybody is obviously no, like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, for the most part, it was that that's that was a, a big part of the experience. And you know, oddly enough, in that same theater is where I saw someone completely walk away from a show. Like I've I saw a lot of. A lot of sadness happened in that building. I mean, a lot of good things did happen, but there was a lot of sadness. Um, there was an interesting, like, to what you were talking about. There was an assistant director to a director in this building, and they did not get along. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the show, like, uh, they, they start understudy rehearsals somewhere, like, right around tech week. They'll start doing understudy rehearsals or preview week. Mm-hmm. Um, not tech week previews. So they, the understudies are welcome to come and they're welcome to watch whenever they can, but they're not required to be there until preview starts. So, uh, they were getting 
the the assistant director normally will take on the role of okay, I'm directing the understudies into the show that already exists, obviously, because the director is gone. So the assistant director, and a lot of times it's not the AD, it's the stage manager that's doing this business. But in this case, it was the assistant director. And in this moment, the AD decided that they were going to use this opportunity to change the show into the way that they thought it should be. And they were not going to uphold the director's vision. So a lot of things were happening right there. It was, I'm now going to change the motivation of this actor. But this actor is understudying a role that's already been set. And the whole purpose of that is if that person goes out, you have somebody that can step in and it fits within the show that exists. Yeah. So essentially, he was creating this like hostile environment from the get-go because he's not setting anybody up for success. Because he's yeah. changing. <laughs> it obviously makes the understudy look worse it in that situation. It makes the understudy look bad, especially if they don't know that the assistant director was doing this. Yeah. Luckily, the stage manager was this like old tank of a human being. And she had been with the with the theater since its inception. Because Chicago Shakes actually started on the roof of a library in Chicago. Interesting. And they had only done like three shows. It's kind of a very weird story. They'd only done like three shows. But Chicago, the city, was very interested in having like a big classical theater out on the pier. Because they were redoing Navy Pier. And they wanted this big classical theater. So they went up to who they thought was the executive director of the theater and were like, hey, we'll give you $5 million to start a theater company. Like move your theater company onto our pier. And when is like, that no, happening it's not for enough you? money. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> we don't have a pier. That's not the yet. problem. That's the problem. We don't have a pier. <laughs> We need a pier down there in Spring Bayou. Five million dollars? I'll go buy a shovel. (laughs) For Spring Bayou. (laughs) Um, So she said not enough money. They came back and they were like, all right, we'll give you $11 million. She was like, sold. Crazy thing is, the word on the streets is, she was in an ensemble. So there were all these other people that created this company. And she just kind of was like, all right, bye. The company's now mine. And we're building this $11 million theater. Wow. And enjoy the roof. That that tracks for egos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And you know what's also wild is that you look at those positions and the executive director and the artistic director are making between $350,000 and $400,000 a year at Chicago Shakes. Well, this will be my last podcast with you. I'm going to go see if I can scrounge up some work. Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> and meanwhile, they're like doing things like paying their understudies for their shows like a $600 stipend sometimes. It's insane to me. Like, that's awesome. It, it's just I mean, that's awesome that they get paid. However, yes. But I mean, it's a stipend. So that's yeah. all you're getting for the whole run. It could be like 4 months. Yeah. But that's all you get. But, you know, when when you look at it as six figures versus, you know, 600, it's. Yeah. And I know that you're like going to the low end. Like this person is brought on like in a very low. Uh, but I'm sure that the job like this, like starting in the mailroom. And it's yeah, like, I'm sure that, you know, you thought, oh, hey, this is how I get my start. So I'm OK with oh, living 100%. off of six hundred dollars for a four month run for the first time. But then it was, oh, OK. So once you 
do a job like that, it's really scary because once you get jump in and you're the understudy and people find out that you can do it and because it's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a very hard and stressful thing to do. But once they find out you can do it, that's all they want to give you. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, we have this this taken care of. So that was also like trying to re- realize like, OK, so I don't want to make these people angry, but they offer me an understudy role again. So I've got to tell them no at some point because then they're just going to make me understudy forever. Yep. So um, anyway, it's very imbalanced. It's very, very imbalanced as far as the pay, pay scale goes. But so this AD is changing the show. This stage manager, the old tank of a human being, you know, that I was talking about earlier. She went and told the director and the artistic director of the company. It was like, this is what's going on. So they have a meeting. There's a big blow up thing. And it was all about like contracts are being thrown around and talking about, well, you can't get rid of me. And then it's basically like this dude shooting himself in the foot. Yeah. Like you are in a primed position. Your assistant directing a main stage show at Chicago Shakes where when you are directing a show at Chicago Shakespeare and you're the director, you can make like they'll pay you around twenty thousand dollars to direct a show. Mm hmm. Um, for the main stage. And he's like primed and ready to build this relationship up and, uh, you know, like gradually move into that position. And he's like, nah, I didn't agree with the direction that the <laughs> I'll show just is go going. go ahead and torpedo my whole career. Basically. And he just kind of like told everybody off, and, but they couldn't get rid of him because he had signed these contracts. And it was like, well, we're stuck. I'm not going anywhere. Just very, I, I know I kind of got off way off topic on that. Well, no, because it it is interesting because it kind of ties into your point earlier about you were kind of touching on uh, how you can watch this old classical show that you know everything that's going to happen and you still enjoy it. Yeah. But if you have somebody that would step in and then kind of make that decision to, well, we are we are not going to do this thing that everyone expects. Yes. Then then. And, you know, I'm not really seeing that. I think people in this area want to play to expectations. That does happen a lot. I mean, it's easier. It's also yeah. because whenever you have most of the time, whenever you have it, it, it's it's one of two things. It's either fear of losing your audience because, well, we live in a small community. So clearly our audience is not going to stay with us if we do something strange or try to do something new and it doesn't work. Because there's this belief, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. I think the minute that you that you start acting like your audience is stupid, then you've lost your audience. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't think I've ever done a show, and I thought, ah, the audience may not get this. I'm like, but if they don't get it, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. But it's our job to make it make sense to them. But I'm not going to change the direction of the show because I'm afraid that somebody that's yeah. never left the state of Louisiana isn't going to understand Mm-hmm. That that's not true. It's not right. But you know, I, I do think that in some kind of ways you can jump the shark and go the other direction. Where it's like, <laughs> yes, you know, I was thinking about um, even though it's a children's show, I was thinking about Peter Pan because I've seen it done so much and I've been in it a lot, and I could pretty much I feel like I could direct this show blindfolded because I've. Every time that I've done the show, it's been the same because everybody always does the same thing. 
and it feels like it always fits in the right track. I mean, of course, the blocking changes. But like I was thinking about today, I was trying to figure out like some flight stuff, uh, like how I'm going to represent flying or when when we're going to do flying and how we're going to show all those things. And I started thinking about the Peter Pan's flight through the window. It's what everybody does. You you watch any theater company's production of Peter Pan and the nursery window is going to open. It's written into the music cue to be to go bum ba da and there Peter Pan comes. <laughs> yeah. And then immediately after, the dog barks, the music goes really low because Peter Pan has to go hide so that they can unhook him from the from the wire. Yeah. And then he can run around and be brave looking for his shadow. But I mean, that's the same every single time. So I was like, man, what if I don't have a window? Well, I have to have a nursery window. They got to leave. They have to fly. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, what if I don't put the nursery window in the middle of the stage? So like just thinking about that would revolutionize. <laughs> Peter Pan is like, well, I don't know if I can put not. I mean, everybody expects it to be in the middle. If I don't have it in the middle, what if, what if, I don't know. What if, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. The things that go through your mind because you're like, well, it's a classic show. Everybody's expecting this. If I change it, are people going to be upset? You know, it's almost like us saying we're upset because they might redo Princess Bride. <laughs> That's true. And yeah. it's not going to be like the original. Like, why redo it? I know it's different because it's a film. So, Well, I you, you were saying that, and I did have a thought. Like, if you don't have it in the center, if there was some way you could fly all of the kids, like, in a straight line, and the whole set just moves like they're flying out the window. Oh, yeah. That would be so cool. That would be so interesting to see. That would be so cool. And you could push it off stage. Yep. So the kids don't actually move and like they don't move. They stay in the same place. They just face a direction. Yep. And you track it off. Oh, that would be so cool. Even if, you know, okay, since we're just doing this now, <laughs> um, if it's on a turntable, so you'd say, so you start off oh, with it in the middle. Here we, yes. And then when they go to fly, they turn and as they turn, it's almost like the camera lens rotates, but for the audience. And so as they're slowly turning, the turntable is turning and now they're facing the window and then it rolls off stage. Oh, even better. That would be freaking cool. Even better. And you would have to have a massive stage <laughs> to be able to accommodate. Basically it would have to be as wide as it is, you know? Well, yeah, but I, I that would be really cool to see. You it would take, be super cool. That's that's how you can turn something on its head. Yeah. And and not in a, <laughs> let me torpedo the whole show by, or, you know, it reminds me, you're talking about Peter Pan, uh, and I know it's so commonplace, but I've seen this monologue done so many freaking times that Christopher Durangwin, where they're talking about the kid going to see Peter Pan and it was their yes. first theater experience and Tinkerbell dies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, no, that's, that's how you tank the show. That's how no, you I'm making it. an artistic choice and not bringing her back to life. Well, you didn't believe enough, so she died. Uh, I um, there there is this really funny story about these people doing Peter Pan over the like theater was over a fire station, and the like siren on one of the trucks was going off, and it happened right when Tinkerbell died, and they had to evacuate the audience. And so they never clapped to bring Tinkerbell back to life. And so all of that momentum of getting the audience on Peter's side to clap and bring the fairy back to life and everybody feels warm and fuzzy because the laser light is 
been turned back on um, <laughs> because they clapped. Yeah. Um, that didn't happen. So they came back and they were like, clap, clap if you, if do you. Yeah. Tink's been dead for a long time. <laughs> just like, did you bring her back? No, no, Tink didn't come back. But I do wonder if, like, for that show specifically, you want all of those things to happen because as an audience member, you feel like your involvement gives you some sort of autonomy over the story. Yeah. I I do think it kind of gives or, you... I'm sorry, agency over the story, right? Yeah, I knew, yeah. What, you, I knew what you meant. Um, but maybe the people listening didn't, so I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes forget that we're doing this so people yeah. can hear it. Uh, yeah, I think that that's... That it definitely does bring people in. It also, it also makes you have this moment of, you know, as an adult, if I bring a kid to the show, I'm expecting it and I'm excited about it because in the child's mind, it's a hundred percent real. Yeah. And it's more about the child. And so I think that that's why adults like to go to it in a sense and bring a child with them. It's because, you know, I can have my kid have this real experience and have them believe that they have, you know, clapped and brought this this laser light fairy back to life. And that, <laughs> you know, they, they've genuinely experienced going to Neverland. I mean, so many times when you're doing that show, you watch adults in the audience and you see them look. They, they don't watch the stage. Yeah. They, they look to the children next to them. And in a sense, it kind of that's what that's why I was saying in the beginning, it makes everybody have just this this two hour break where they're a child again. Yeah. Because the child believing so much reminds the adult how it was to be a kid and to just have a hundred percent faith in what you see as reality. Just being like, yes, I will buy into this so easily. I mean it's kind of like those people that that sell those pyramid schemes of, you know, like diet <laughs> you know, they're just yes. like, and they they believe in it so much they put the vinyl on the back glass, and like those were the people. Here's that, a beamer. Yeah, <laughs> but we're gonna label it too. <laughs> that those are the people that put the vinyl of whatever they're selling at the moment for whatever pyramid scheme on their back glass. Those are the kids that never stopped believing in fairies. Yeah, well, their ability to bring them back. I I, it, it's so crazy because you were talking about seeing all of these people back in Chicago and they were in the lobby after the show or, you know, wherever you guys were hanging out and talking. Yeah. But when you bring a kid to a show, they, they, they do that thing where they're like, and did you see, yes. we brought the, Oh my. And like, it's so mm -hmm. extent, like the, just the level of energy that they bring to after being in a show. Yeah. They immediately know how to react. Yeah. They don't have to, they don't have to think about it or like, Hey, give me a moment and I'll be able to see. They just, are so good at taking it at face value and knowing how they feel about it, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's, it's awesome. I'm not that way. I'm like, well, give me a minute. It's also because I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking the whole time. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. A child doesn't care. They'd be like, I hated that. Yeah. I was, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> like I'm still, I'm asleep. I'm hungry and I'm don't want to be here. But I do, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that that is why, because I do support 100% um, children's theater. I think it's so vitally important. I mean, like, if I would have had it as a kid growing up, yeah, I could have been doing this for so much longer. Mm -hmm. And having that outlet for, you know, children today who, 
you know, growing up, when we were growing up, the, the arts were thrown to the side. Yeah. I had to teach myself how to play all the instruments that I know how to play mm-hmm. because it wasn't like a course taught in school. Well, I mean, that's still a problem. Ex- no, no, yes. It is, it is still a problem. It wasn't just when we were kids, but it's, it is, um, it is, it is sad because, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day of, you know, people will definitely trot out the arts and flaunt them in people's face as far as like, look at this awesome thing that we have. Um, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this such a great opportunity for your kid? And yet they will also not support it. Yeah. A hundred percent. But they love to show it off. And that's the thing. They're like, oh, you know, in any career, in any business, they always want, you know, to show off what's going on in in their in the arts of their school. You know, look look at our amazing band. Isn't it great? We haven't bought them any instruments for it and we don't really support them <laughs> because they're not football. Yeah. But isn't it awesome that we have this band? Isn't this great? Don't you love that? Well, yeah, that's so nice. Thank you for telling me. I but mean, what are you going to do for the 30 minutes at halftime? Yeah. Exactly. I guess that's true. So the band the band is is before the theater especially. <laughs> but when you look at the actual benefits of and that's why I was saying with the kids that I know from the beginning of doing this program here in, in Marksville and how they have changed and grown in their confidence, even just after the first show that we did, you know, seeing them come in and they're so closed off and inside themselves. And then once they start getting to perform and getting that affirmation and realizing, you know, that they're safe and that they are supported and that, people are genuinely cheering them on and wanting them to succeed. And the way that they succeed is by exploring with their imagination and having fun with their friends. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, huge thing and a huge boost to be like, you know what? This is cool because you know, the theater is where you're celebrated for being, you know, strange and confident and just being like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this really weird thing. Yeah. I've got all this energy and I don't know where to channel it, but being on stage and, you know, the 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 light is focused on you when you have yeah. this moment. This is where you channel that energy. And every time, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times after a show, a parent has come up to us or a grandparent or whomever and just talked about how changed their child is. Yeah. In everything. Just like, you know, when they when they started, they they didn't have a whole lot of friends. They didn't like to go out and they didn't talk to people. And now they just like talk to everybody yeah. they'll order their own food at restaurants <laughs> they're not afraid and i just think that that's so awesome to be in a you know that children's theater has the ability to give children a voice in a sense and show them a place that they can be and be accepted for it especially in communities where there's not a whole lot of it and it's not as accessible yeah you know, you've had me sit in on a couple of auditions for um, children's shows before, mm-hmm. and it was so interesting, you know, to further your point here, to see one year how they audition, and then the next year, seeing how open and how oh, yeah. vibrant they are, and, you know, just just watching them grow in just that aspect of, well, now I can do this, and I have no fears, and, yes. you know, we, I don't have any of those things that, as an adult, I'm going to bake in. Uh, and it's <laughs> also the... The fact that a child doesn't care, like a child will take a class and just be like, awesome, I'm going to take this class and I'm going to learn how to do this. Yeah. 
whereas like you know we have talked about before it's really hard to get adults to do that and to sit down and be like all right i really enjoy this i want to explore this a little bit more i'm gonna take an acting class um but a kid will do it and that's the difference like you know we have so many kids here that take classes with us and they learn how to audition and then they come into audition and they're like i've got this i know how to do it Mm -hmm. i've been through this so many times already because i did the class And I did the show last year. Yeah, it's so crazy to watch adults, even in a class, have these walls and these reservations. And I mean, life is hard. And we we all have been through some. (laughs) Everybody has their own trauma. And yeah, yeah, it is hard to to be like, why can't you just like because we all want you to succeed. Yes. And it is like that's the director, the, the person who's running the class is always the frustration of just being like, why can't it just be as simple as being like, just just do it. Yeah. Just have fun. Drop the wall. Nobody cares. Like, we want you to succeed. Nobody wants to sit here and see you be nervous and act like you don't want to be there because you're terrified. Nobody wants yeah. to. Like, we want to see you open up like and celebrate that. And that was what was so interesting because we had, like, a little showcase a uh, few days ago um, for the acting class mm-hmm. um, for people that for have the adults. been. Yeah, for the adults that people have been listening to. And it was so awesome to see. Even me, I got like really nervous and it was the well, first time I performed in were, a year. It's not that there were, I mean, there were like two people there that weren't normally there. Yeah. But it was just because we were like, all right, I changed the set a little bit. I put some stuff up here. It's like a real deal and we're going to perform it. Yeah, we're not going to, this isn't a thing where we're doing notes. We're, we're performing it. Yeah. The, the stakes just for whatever reason I started and it just felt they were sky high and it was mm-hmm. awesome. And I think that if we could channel that for adults in some kind of way and just, well, I think it's just about channeling or, or changing the culture in a sense mm-hmm. in this particular area, you know, people will enjoy, you know, they'll, they'll say, Oh, well, I really like yoga. So I'm going to invest in a good yoga mat. I'm going to go to yoga classes. It's a great time for me just to meditate or whatever, or they'll, in in our area in particular, they will purchase all this equipment to go hunting <laughs> for themselves. You know, <laughs> like I'm going to do th- this is going to be my thing or a horseback ride or whatever it is. Yeah. And but they won't they'll they'll be like, oh, and, and did you know, I, you know, these are obviously I'm talking about people who do theater already. But the idea of doing a class for a theater is like, well, why would I do that? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But convincing people to invest in themselves in that sense is just really hard. Yeah. It, it, I think the, the, se- the separation for me is no different. And I guess because I'm so invested in doing theater separation for me is no different than doing therapy. Yeah. In a sense in that, you know, sure. It's not like I'm not growing, you know, physically, I'm not doing any kind of like curls or, or squats or anything like that, but I'm I'm challenging myself mentally and as a storyteller that's that's really where I want the challenge to exist. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like how I feel about um to kill a mockingbird is that I want to be so invested in whatever we're doing that it's like I don't think I could sleep without sharing this story with you. Yeah. Like it I'm I'm restless until I can share the story with someone. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't see the difference in I'm going to 
invest my time in <laughs> all this hunting equipment to yeah. go kill a few, you know, animals Locking for meat. Birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, to sustain myself and to sustain myself mentally or to grow as a community or to find different walks of life yeah. even. Well, and it's just the, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to explore it. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what I think it's, it's just kind of like creating an environment where people feel like that it's not like, oh, I'm taking a class. So that means that I don't know how to do this thing or I'm not good at it. It's Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't have, that's not at all what taking an acting class is about. It's about how do I hone this craft and how do I get better? Yeah. You know, how to, like, it's always getting better. I, you know, just because I've done this for a long time doesn't mean that I don't benefit from an acting class. Yeah. I will always learn something. I mean, even whenever you guys stayed behind and I did the monologue for you and Ty just because it was driving me crazy and I wanted to perform and I hadn't done one in a long time, I did all of the bad things first (laughs) because I just, it's so easy to get stuck in director mode where it's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do but you forget that it is very hard to change those things sometimes because naturally that's what you're going to do. And so you, I think to be, honestly, I do think that to be a good director, you do have to, I, I think the best directors I've ever had, I can say this, the best directors that I have ever had have been actors first and directors second. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they know exactly what's going on in an actor's brain. So it's more honest and they can communicate better with the actors, and they know what it's like to be on that side of the of the curtain. Yeah, they they essentially meet the actor where they're at and learn how to collaborate with them. Like yeah, it helps process, with the collaboration. Yeah, your process is you know similar to my process, but might not be the same as you know say Lexi's process. Right, and it might be easier you know for you and I to explore the feelings and everything that's going on, but mm-hmm. it might be easier for Lexi to just be told, hey. This is what's happening. Can you do this? Yeah. And then to move on. And I know that every actor is different. And it's also just knowing when you're asking someone to do something that is not necessarily possible. Yeah. And not understanding or having patience whenever it doesn't happen. Just saying like, oh, hey, this is what I need. Go do that. And it's it's the same thing with knowing. That's, that's why in theater, I was really thankful for my theater education because I did every single thing. It was encouraged that. You know, as even though you were an acting major, you did dance, you did tech classes, you did everything so that you can better communicate with those designers. Yes. That you understand what their limitations are in a sense and how to how to talk to them in a way that's not going to make everybody despise you because you're constantly (laughs) asking them to do things that they can't figure out. Yeah. Or like, hey, can't you just push in these numbers and write this light cue in five seconds. Like, why am I still waiting? Yes. Like you need to know the process behind everything. Yes. And I, I, you said that and it reminded me the thing that I hear a lot to, from actors to the costumer is this makes me look stupid. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is to serve the character. Do you think it serves the character? (laughs) Yes. It's not about you. Um, I mean, I think that you should be comfortable in your costume, but I don't think that you should necessarily worry about that. How you look. Yeah. Yes. If you know, it's going to be a date show for you or not. (laughs) Like if I wear this, no one's going to want to date me after. Um, but I do think that it is 
so this is what I this is kind of the conclusion that I came with doing classics like Peter Pan. I think that you know it's a little different because I am doing this is like a children's theater workshop and I'm not putting on the full version of the show. I'm doing like a kids version of the show. So it's it's kind of tanked down to a smaller version and and of course they're children. So I'm not doing Broadway or anything yeah. like that, you know. And they're going to have a blast regardless. And they're going to have so much fun, and I know they are. And that is that is more what it is. It's about getting them to learn something about theater and the way that you put it on, and then also having them have a great time so that they will want to come back. And you foster this growth in the community of, oh, well, yeah, we go to the, we go to the Fox Theater and we go see plays. I used to do plays whenever I was younger there. And now I go take my kid like then mm-hmm. then you foster growth and you're not just having people, you know, age out and die <laughs> and no one comes back. Yeah. You know, you want you want that you want it to be an environment that people want to be there. But with classics like this, that everybody knows what to expect, you almost have to like have moments where you give them something that they want, of course. Yes. But you have breaks in there where, okay, I'm going to, this is going to surprise them. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do something a little bit different over here. Like, sure. I'm going to have the nursery window in the middle, but I'm going to have this rock wall that whenever they're in Neverland that they climb up and it has a hidden cave on the other side of it and a slide and people can slide through the rock wall Yeah, while other people are climbing on it. Like things like that, like, that you can find some new paths in, in a sense. I just, or, you know, like I'm doing, um, I'm going to have a, a, a wall of vines that's going to just look like a wall of bushes and shrubs or whatever, but it's going to be vines so that the, the brave girls, you know, like Tiger Lily can poke their heads through mm-hmm. and see the lost boys. And I just think that that like gives opportunity for fun. Yeah. Whereas that is more the expectation, but they're also going to get some of the, new stuff the or you're the old stuff I well yeah, yeah 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 so they know what to expect and then you know just also like trying to figure out how to make kids fly in a space that's not built for kids to fly in <laughs> yes. especially whenever you can't afford you know to spend ten thousand dollars for a company like zfx to come in and fly your people yeah i mean that's crazy it would cost us more to bring someone in to fly like to have an, an actual like fly company like ZFX that does Peter Pan to come in, set up their own equipment and teach people how to fly than it would to do the entire show. That's insane. That is, it is insane. However, how do you justify that to a board or to like, you know, your community that's yeah. on like, a smaller oh, community, it's really hard to justify. Yeah. You, you're in a, a 200 seat house and you like, do I need this to tell the story successfully? No, no I don't. I don't need that. Um, so I'm kind of interested, like I'm doing these, like I'm putting these ropes that I'm making into vines, basically, and I am putting them all over the stage, like outdoor swings, so that the other kids can jump on and still be elevated in the air and kind of like floating around Yeah, and participate in that way with Peter, who is going to fly, but is not going to fly like ZFX fly. (laughs) Yeah. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, he's going to come off the ground. Um, But still, like, that in itself is also surprising. 
And when I've seen, I've seen people in the past do Peter Pan uh, Jr. like we're doing with this children's show, and they don't have the kids fly. They just run on the stage floor, and they're singing, I'm flying. Flying. <laughs> They're like, no, you're not. Like, you have to. I think you have to do something, but it does force you to be, yeah, more creative. Like, you know, being broke makes you real, real creative. <laughs> yes, lack of funds can make you real creative. <laughs> but I think that's one reason why I love. You know, I love children's theater at the Fox. Even if I'm not directing it, I love watching the kids do stuff there because it's not about huge, you know, flashy things. Yeah. Like it is genuinely about watching the kids do something awesome. Like it's not and that's why I don't think like huge spectacle does not belong in children's theater. Yeah. It just doesn't belong there because it's not and those what it's kids about. could not care less they what that set care. looks like. They do not care. They walk in. I have like a partially built set right now that I worked on the last couple of days. And they're gonna walk in and it's not gonna be put together at all. They're gonna be able to see where their levels are so that we can practice with it. And understand the vibe of the show, but they're going to walk in and think it looks freaking amazing the yeah. way that it is because I just have these very basic things on the stage. They don't care. Yeah, they do not care. They're just going out there and doing the show. And that's that's like, how do you convince adults to have that mindset of being like, look, these they're just enjoying telling a story like how awesome is that? That they're just approaching this with such innocence and telling a story, but really when you get it on another level and like you get older, then you're like, Oh, well, we've got to do this. Like the car has to explode. <laughs> yeah. You know, like why do, why does that happen to us? Why? I think maybe you think we're jaded. Like you and I would be more jaded into watching something or being a part of something. And it was like, this looks like jank, yeah. which I have thought before. I mean, yes, I'm not. Well, I mean, <laughs> Just what I'm saying walking is... Walking a tightrope, yes. I'm walking, yes. <laughs> I think that there is a way to do things without it being like huge, crazy spectacle mm -hmm. or massive sets, and it still looks good. It's just not about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I don't really think that there's an excuse for a, a half-baked set. Yeah. I just don't think that that exists because, I mean, it's all about time and preparation. But in the in the example of Peter Pan, though, flying is such a small part of the show. It's true, but people think of it as this. It's the big, main, yeah. main thing because it's always like, how are they going to do it? Because it has to happen. So you're like, okay, how are they going to do it? Kind of like in God of Carnage in the yeah. play, she has to throw up in yeah. that one scene on the on the photography book mm -hmm. or the art book. And so, like, how are they going to throw? Like, she's she's been on stage. How is she going to throw up? Are they going to actually throw up? Like, that's what you're thinking if you know the show. Yeah. That's what you're thinking of. That's what I'm thinking of the whole time. So I would imagine that that's why it becomes about, like, oh, how are they going to fly? Because it's Peter Pan. Peter Pan flies. It's the whole thing. That's how they get to Neverland. Yeah. So I think it's more or less, like, what is the process? How are they doing it? Did I jump over you? I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. I, I was genuinely just asking. I just, like, pounced. No. Speaking um, of pouncing, oh, it rhymes with bouncing, which is something that we should we do. Should do. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was. I was thinking, you know what? It was. It's time that we just stop bothering. People. Yeah, you're getting a long. You get a little long winded. I'm long sorry. in the tooth. Yeah, because this is also why I don't end up erasing hardly anything on the board. <laughs> I was like, hey, did we talk about this last time? Like, why do I even fill it out? 
I still feel it's just like a safety net. Yeah. Is it my safety net? What if we run out of things to talk about? <laughs> hey, you know what was really exciting? Just right before I go, mm-hmm. a little play on theater update. It was really exciting seeing people purchase some shirts and stuff on our redbubble.com website where mm-hmm. our merchandise is. That was super cool after the podcast aired. I was like, what? That's cool. Look at that. People. I mean, it, I just think about like the feeling of seeing people walk around with our theater company. Like, like just on their T-shirt. I just think it's so cool. That, like, why is that? Why does that seem awesome to me? It just that seems has to so make awesome. your chest swell just a little bit to see the play on yeah, logo on someone's it. chest. It's just kind of like when we go to any of our friends' business, or you like see people around that I don't necessarily know, and I see them have like a play on theater sticker mm-hmm. that we that we give out at the shows, or like a scene partner sticker. I just think it's so neat i'm like what look at that that's us yeah ba, 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 ba. i bought that logo <laughs> <laughs> i'm really stressed out about that logo <laughs> i just think it's so cool but yeah it was really exciting to see that people were purchasing it um so yes thank you guys for the uh, support yeah that is like absolutely absolutely amazing and you know one day we'll have a scene partners t-shirt once i uh fix the logo for shirts look you got a lot of stuff going on you've got it's true this this children's theater coming up then we have um, mockingbird right around the corner oh it's true i know it's like all starting all starting back i'm just up. very excited but also we do want to say a big thank you to the people that went to red bubble 100 percent. um also as you were saying mockingbird is coming up so i'm super excited because at this point we have heard for sure that we have every single original cast member but two Oh, yes. So I'm like really stoked about that. Are those two me and you? We're not doing the show. I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, one person I'm super bummed about and um, and I just it like breaks my heart. Well, they grew up and went to college. She grew up and she's leaving. She's flying the nest and she should. And she's going to have like great experiences. And I don't at all want her to feel guilty about not being able to do the show with us. Maybe a little guilty. She shouldn't. But um but I'm I am kind of and you know it is it is really good because I have somebody in mind already that is absolutely amazing that I really want to reach out to and see if they're gonna be able to do it. So that's nice. And then and then the other person is just not very tech savvy. So who knows? <laughs> so I'm just like, well, I just gotta get this person on the phone yep. and find out for sure. But that's gonna happen soon. So hopefully by the next time we record, I'll be able to announce that we have it one hundred percent cast again and i'll be able to re-release the cast which would be great and uh i'm just i'm i'm just so ready so ready to go it just feels awesome feels awesome oh hey um oh what what was the dang it i had a thing remember the other day hey what do you call a a a priest that is a attorney a priest that isn't a ter- Oh, wait, hold on. I think I actually know this. You do, because we heard it at the same time. But what do you call a priest that's attorney? An attorney. A pardon. A father-in-law. <gasps> oh. Dang it. Anyway. Wah, wah. Well, that was Cody. And that is Chris Stoppinopoulos. Hey, we are recording.